0: all right well that was fun uh that was that was absolutely wonderful um back in 1998 i uh was hired as the worship director at a church plant uh in pinecrest community church it was in parker colorado and hang on here just a second all right that feels better Anyway, so I got hired as this worship director. Um, there is a reason that I am not the worship director here at uh, Riverwood. I really wasn't that good. Uh, Jake is uh, far better. But I got hired, uh, brand new little church plant. In fact, uh, the the uh, it was week number two of the church's uh, like public ministry that I uh, candidated, and there were eleven people at the service. And uh, we stayed small for a long time. Uh, it. We actually got so desperate that like if a stray dog walked into the elementary school where we met, like we probably would have counted it in the attendance. I mean, we we were just that desperate. But anyway, so when John and Mary showed up—by the way, this is not their real names—but when John and Mary showed up, we we were ready, like, "Hey, real people, finally!" You know, and we welcomed them in, and they came back, much to our shock and surprise, because few people wanted to come to church in an elementary school, and let alone, you know, when they saw how small we were, they just usually wouldn't come back, and John and Mary did, and then they came back a third time, and on that third time, John tells our pastor that he's an early riser, and and, uh, wanted to know if he could come and help with our setup team. We had to set up in a gym. We put the nursery in the library, and and so we're like, yeah, we'll we'll take the help, And, and so his first time helping us on setup. He approaches the pastor and says, hey, the reason Mary and I started looking for churches, we're, we're struggling in our marriage. We were hoping that, you know, some religion might help us. Is, is there a chance that I could, like, get together with you and we could talk? And the pastor's like, yeah, of course. Now, I was not there at the conversation. The, the pastor later related it to me and, and shared this is how it went. Uh, John shared how this marriage was Mary's first marriage. But for him, Mary was his fourth wife. And the reason he wanted to talk with the pastor is because Mary was beginning to act just like his previous wives. And so he wanted to know what did he need to do to help fix Mary so that their marriage would not end up in a fourth divorce. The pastor apparently looked at John and tried to gently but straightforwardly say, well, John, if they're all kind of acting the same, the consistent thing among all of that is you. So maybe what you need to do is look in the mirror and, and figure out, maybe what do I need to fix about me to help this marriage be what God calls it to be. That was the last time we ever saw John and Mary. Now, for our purposes today, I, I want you to just imagine, envision, that, that John and Mary end up getting divorced. The, 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 he has his fourth divorce, and now, and this is going to be hard for you guys, but now I want you to imagine that you are a single woman, and you meet John. And upon hearing and learning that he's been married four previous times, do you immediately start dreaming what it would be like to be wife number five? No, you you laugh. Because you know you would hear that, and probably not only social distance, you would emotionally distance yourself from this guy. Why? Because he seems to not be a man of his word. Four times he stood before a pastor or a judge, and he confessed until death do us part and four times, he broke that vow. Now, the thing is, we hear John's story, and we think, oh, jeez, what? You know, man, I, I would never want to be married to someone like that. And yet, how, how often do we not keep our word? I wish I could say I've kept my word 100% of the time. That, that would not be true. It, it, I probably haven't even kept it this past week I remember a time when I, I got hired at this uh, uh, Bible church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I was the young adult pastor, and uh, this gal was leading a Bible study, and so she asked if she could meet with me about her Bible study. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Well, I, I forgot. This was before smartphones. I had a Palm Pilot, but I just wasn't using it. I was running off memory, and, and my memory failed me. I forgot. Thankfully, she was very gracious. She forgave me for it. We said another time. Yeah, I forgot the second time. And I wish I could claim it was for like a really good reason. Like I got kidnapped. (laughs) But no, I was at Best Buy. Like it was lame. I I don't think she ever trusted and respected me again. When when someone doesn't keep their word, it, it just does something in us. And we view them a little differently. And yet, all of us have done it. Now sometimes it's just in the small thing. Like someone asks you to empty the dishwasher, you're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. But then you, something comes up, you forget, and you don't get it accomplished. But sometimes it's the big things. Sometimes it's things that are so big, we, we really wouldn't want anyone to know. Like you keep a secret that you've been married four times. Or that you stood in front of a pastor and witnesses and, and said, I, w- I will be married to you and I will stay faithful, and yet there's that affair or that one-time fling. Or, or you you said, "Hey, I'm done with this addiction. I'll never go back to it," and yet you secretly returned. We've all done it. We've all broken our word. Today, we're going to hear Jesus go after one of the big ones. He's going to go after divorce, one of the big breaking of your word. And I'll just readily admit it right now. This is going to be awkward for some of us. This, is, this will be hard. This is a sticky topic because some of us have gone through divorce. Some of us have family, whether our parents or our siblings, even our own children. They, they, this is hard and awkward. And so this is one of those topics that we kind of like to just avoid But what I hope happens today is not that you don't feel beat up or you feel like Jesus is old-fashioned and out of touch based upon what you hear him say. Instead, I hope by the end of our time together, you will actually leave here or log off incredibly encouraged. And believe it or not, I think you might walk out of here in awe of God. So as we get ready to turn to the scriptures and hear Jesus' very difficult teaching on divorce, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as we get ready to turn to your holy word, I pray that you would do what only you can do. I, I pray, Father, that you would um, help us in this really sticky uh, topic to, to find ourselves just worshiping you. Lord, I, I pray that your grace would just overwhelm all of this, that for those that are, that are listening to this that who have been divorced or maybe considering divorce or, well, you know, this is a, a, such a difficult topic, that they would actually find themselves drawn to you in the midst of this. Because, God, what really matters isn't so much whether we keep our word, even though you desire for us to. What what deeply matters, what matters most, is that you, Jesus, were a man of your word, and that that makes all the difference. And so help us, Father, to be encouraged by that truth today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. If you brought a Bible today, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 10. Would you guys bring up the lights so that those who have a paper Bible can read it? Mark chapter 10. If you are a first time guest and don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to put the scripture up on the screen. You're going to be able to read along, but I just really encourage you next time you come to Riverwood, bring a Bible with you. Uh, we don't care if it's a digital Bible or a paper Bible. We just want you to have one. So get yourself a Bible. And then that way, when you bring it here and you open it up on Sundays, it just makes it that much easier to open it up on Monday. Um, Back in January, we were in 21 Days of Prayer, and we, um, I, a couple of times during that, I talked about baptism. And, and I remember Katie and her mom were sitting right back there, and during, at the end of one of the, the services, I was talking with them, and Katie had marked on her card that she wanted to get baptized. So that began the, the conversation. And, and pretty soon, shortly after that, I found out Selah wanted to get baptized. And so we began to work together to try to find a date but we, we set a date, and we asked Crosspoint, can we borrow your tank? And they said, oh, if you'd told us 24 hours earlier, we could have said yes, but that date's not available. So we had to find another date, and this was the day. So we got April 18th, 2021 set, and I went to my preaching calendar. I'm like, I wonder what I'm preaching that day. And I saw it was Mark 10, 1 through 12. I'm like, what's that about? And I opened up my Bible, and I see it's divorce, and I thought, nope, nope, we're not talking about divorce on Baptism Sunday. Can't, can't do it. And then I began to get really uncomfortable. Because one of the reasons that we try to teach kind of verse by verse, section by section through the Bible is that it forces you to have to wrestle with really difficult subjects like divorce. I I am not against topical teaching. I mean, we do topical teaching here at Riverwood regularly, you know, two, three, four times a year. But our steady diet, though, is to jump into a book of the Bible and just kind of work through it. Because it makes us wrestle with things. Too often, we try to take the things of the Bible and twist them to fit our culture. But when you really get into the scriptures and you go through it section by section, it forces you to have to wrestle. Do I go with what my culture says or with what the scriptures say? And and so it's good for us to have to wrestle with these things. And so I started realizing, like, I I can't take the convenient route, the more comfortable route, and and get rid of this and say, oh, well, we'll just come back to it later when it's more convenient. Well, as I was wrestling through this, this is now getting to be in, in March, I suddenly realize this is actually the perfect topic for us to talk about. And, and I hope that by the end of our time today, you'll be thankful that God arranged for Baptism Sunday at Riverwood Church to be on this day and that this was the passage in section chosen. And I hope that by the end of it, you will be thankful that we talked about this today. So with that said, let's get into it. We're starting off Mark 10, verse 1, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. And he, Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it, excuse me, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Mark starts chapter 10 off by telling us Jesus has left kind of this northern region and has come now south down to Judea. Judea is kind of one of the biggest, most prominent states of Israel. It's where Jerusalem is located. But there's a portion of Judea that goes across the river. Most of Israel was on the west side of the Jordan River. But in this story, this is taking place on the east side. I think Mark wants us to see how the fame of Jesus has been spreading everywhere, even to the east side of the Jordan, because he points out that yet again another crowd has gathered. And then we see that there are these Pharisees, and they begin to try to test him. I think these Pharisees were concerned I think they're jealous. They're concerned because everyone's being drawn to him, and yet Jesus didn't go through their schooling like them. They they can't compete with his authority. I mean, he teaches like no one else. They can't compete with his miracles. They haven't been able to produce that. And now they can't compete with his magnetism. And so there's concern. But I think they're also jealous because it's almost like Jesus has taken the reins of power away from them. And, And he's, in a sense, going to ruin Judaism. And so they're trying to figure out a way to stop him. And so they think, well, we need to test him. Maybe by testing him, they're going to expose him as a false teacher, and everyone's just going to fall away from him. Or maybe they're trying to test him to figure out, okay, maybe this guy really is legit, and we need to follow him. We, we don't know exactly why, but all we know is that they're trying to test him, and their testing question is divorce. Now, at this time, there were two main camps uh, on the topic of divorce. There, there was one camp led by, and I forget the rabbi's name, who said that uh, divorce was, the grounds for divorce was only for sexual unfaithfulness. But there was another camp, a larger camp, more popular, that said that any reason the husband had, if, if he was dissatisfied with his wife, for any reason he could give her that certificate of divorce and it was final, it was over. So maybe they just simply want to know which camp do you fall into, but I don't think that's the case. One commentary I looked at this week said that perhaps what they're trying to do is get Jesus in trouble with Herod. If, if you've been with us as we've been studying Mark, a few chapters back, we saw a story about Jesus' brother, John. I'm uh, not brother, sorry, uh, cousin, John. John the Baptist, or as Jake said last week, John the baptizer. Uh, John had been teaching that Herod's marriage to Herodias was not legitimate. You see, Herodias had been married to Herod's brother, Philip. And so Herodias is technically his sister-in-law, but she didn't like Philip, she liked Herod more, so she she leaves her, her husband, gets married to Herod, and John the Baptist starts publicly saying, that's sin, that's wrong, that's adultery. Herod didn't like it, so Herod had John arrested, and eventually John ends up beheaded. And so, some commentators think that by asking this question, they're trying to get Jesus to establish himself as agreeing with his cousin, to agree, have the same viewpoint as John the Baptist, get him in trouble with Herod, and he too will be arrested. Oh, and then our problem is solved. We don't have to worry about this Jesus guy any longer. We can get back to normal. So, they test him. Now, because they jump in with divorce, it's very tempting for us to just jump right into the topic of divorce. But we can't, that's not wise. Because you see, in order to get divorced, you have to first get married. So we really need to talk about marriage first. Because after all, that's kind of what Jesus did. After they ask him this question, Jesus says, what did Moses command you? Brilliant move. He asks the question back. They're like, well, Deuteronomy says that, you know, a guy can give a certificate of divorce to his wife, and and it's final. And Jesus says, well, yeah, it does say that. That's because of your sinful, selfish, hardened hearts. But then notice, he immediately jumps to marriage. Verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus, as he's talking about marriage, doesn't just start talking about it in general. What he's doing right here is he's quoting from Genesis. Verse six is basically Genesis one twenty-seven. 127 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then verses seven and eight of their, of Mark 10 are basically uh, Genesis 2:24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So what Jesus is doing in this t- conversation about divorce goes back to marriage and says, from the very beginning... I, God the Son, was with God the Father and the Spirit. We together said, let us make man in our image. And so to have the full image of God, we needed male and female. And then in chapter 2, we see God delighted in taking the male and the female, joining them them together, and the two become one. And we see this oneness in the birth of a child. Take a, a dad and a mom together, you get this kid. Now, yes, they're twins and triplets, but most times, one child. The two become one. We also see this poetically in the mingling of bodies in the sexual union. And we also see this emotionally. There's just something about a husband and a wife. Even when they don't like each other, the, the guy's just got a do not disturb sign on his face. And the, the wife just constantly is griping and complaining. They still feel tied together. And that's why it's so painful. The two become one. But the only person that can make the two one is God. And so Jesus is saying, so therefore, what God is doing together is one, let man not rip apart, let man not separate. And so, what Jesus is espousing here is the permanency of marriage that for this life, a husband and wife, when they stand before God and exchange holy vows, they should go until one of them dies. It is to last forever. And to break that vow, to get divorced, therefore, Jesus is saying, is sin. That's why this conversation is so uncomfortable, because so many people have been affected by divorce. And then you have some closed-minded pastor like me saying, well, it's sin. Now, I want you to know, scripturally, there are some exceptions. There there are two, maybe three examples in the scriptures where a divorce would not be a sin. Jesus gives us one of those in Matthew 19. In, In Matthew 19, he says that except for sexual unfaithfulness, Because if if the idea is that the two become one and one of them is gone and given their body to someone else who's not their spouse, they've broken the vow. And so to get divorced is merely to acknowledge kind of what has already happened. But then in 1 Corinthians 7, God writes through Paul that if, if you're married to an unbeliever, someone who does not know Jesus and you do know Jesus, if that unbelieving spouse leaves, you can let them go and get divorced and it is not a sin. But as long as they want to be with you, you make this a permanent marriage. And then I think a really good, strong case can be made for Malachi 2, that if, if there is violent abuse happening within the, uh, the marriage, that there can be a case made for a divorce and it not being sin. But outside of those two, maybe three, there, there's no other reason. Which means if you just no longer find her physically attractive, you're not supposed to divorce her. Like, if he just seems to not be making enough money any longer, it's not a reason for divorce. Like, I I don't care how bad her cooking is, I don't care how loud he snores, I don't care what her taste in music is, it's not grounds for divorce. Jesus says, when you stand before him and you commit these vows together, it is to be permanent. You then need to be a person of your word. All right, so this is uncomfortable. It's kind of shocking. I mean, we live in a world where a number of our states have no-fault divorce, Like, if one person's unhappy in it, they can just apply. It doesn't matter what the other one wants. It's it's, it's done. It's over. That's what we're used to because we live in a country where it's all about the pursuit of happiness. And if I'm in a marriage and I'm not happy, I want out. I want to find someone else so I can be happy because that's the American way. Well, this may be surprising, but this was not just shocking to our culture. It was also shocking to Jesus' culture. You see, the, the Jewish men... They took this Deuteronomy passage where Moses says, you may give a certificate of divorce, and they ran with it. Under Jewish law, a woman could not divorce her husband. But a husband, all he had to do was write up a draft, give her the certificate of divorce, and it's done. So, like, he could be abusive. He could even take a second wife. A lot of Jewish communities, there was polygamy. She could do nothing about it. He could be breaking his vows. She's stuck. Now, in defense of the certificate of divorce, it actually forced me. It was actually a way to protect the women because that way a guy couldn't just, like, kick her out, say, I don't want you anymore. We're divorced. And then later say, well, she abandoned me. No, but he had to give her that certificate of divorce, and then that showed everyone that she was available to be remarried. But she couldn't file for it. She couldn't make it happen. It was so unfair. She was trapped. And, and so the, her only options were, were to return home to her parents or to get remarried. Like, she couldn't just go get a job. She couldn't just lease an apartment. Like, she was dependent upon the, the community. So it was a very dangerous thing for her, and yet guys did it all the time so divorce and remarriage was very common in Jesus' day. So to have Jesus standing in front of this crowd, debating with these Pharisees, and talk about the permanency of marriage would have made a lot of them do the same thing as us. <gasps> what? <laughs> but it wasn't just shocking to, to the Pharisees in the audience. It was also shocking to the disciples. Did you notice in verse 10 that they go back to this house? We don't know exactly what house this is, but they get back there, and it says they wanted to talk more about this matter. That's because they're going, Seriously, Jesus? In fact, in Matthew's version of the story, they even blurt out to Jesus, like, it's better not to get married then. Now, you would think in this moment Jesus might kind of soften things back down. If it's just him and his guys. He's like, oh, okay, okay, guys. You know, I kind of said it a little strongly out there. But, okay, but here's what I really meant. No, that, that's not what Jesus does. He actually doubles down. Look at it there, verses 11 and 12. He says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I want to point out two things from this. First of all, Jesus is pointing out more and more his permanency on marriage. So much so that he is saying that even if the guy gives the woman a certificate of divorce, the world may see them as divorced, but in God's eyes, they're still married. He still sees them too. Because again, Jesus says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So God has joined these two together as one. And so just because he gave her a piece of paper saying we're done, it does not mean it's now ripped. That's why in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes, if a divorced man goes and marries another, he sees it as adultery. Because in God's eyes, they're still connected. Uh, okay, now this gets even more uncomfortable. Because not only is divorce pretty prominent in our society, but remarriage is too. So, so does that mean that if you're remarried, you need to now go get divorced to go back to your previous spouse? No. I mean, take take the story of John that I opened with. Married four times, divorced four times. Well, I don't know about the fourth one, but I'm going to assume. All right. Does that mean that if, if he stayed married to Mary, that suddenly he's like, oh no, like I shouldn't have done this. This was wrong. So he divorces her to try to go back to wife one. But what, what if wife one really doesn't no longer want to? Or what if she's already remarried? Does he now try wife two? What, then to, on to three? Like, I think what Jesus would say to us is the marriage you're in right now, that's your permanent marriage. You make that one. Yeah, maybe you had legitimate reasons for why the first divorce, and maybe you didn't. Maybe the, the marriage you're in now, maybe it began in the eyes of God as adultery. But there is forgiveness through the cross. Jesus forgives you of your sin. And so when you have confessed that sin, now you find yourself in a marriage. This is your permanent marriage. You give your all to this one. You seek to love and respect that other person. And you do this to honor God. You do this to honor them. And yeah, it may be difficult right now, but the easy way out is not the answer. Jesus is saying, stick with it. He can do far more in this marriage than you realize So he's reiterating the permanency of marriage here, even privately with his disciples. But then I wanted you to see a second thing that he says in there. Did you notice the last phrase? After warning a guy, saying, hey, if you, uh, you know, divorce your wife and remarry, it's adultery. He says, if she divorces her husband, remember, we just talked about how, under Jewish law, women could not divorce their husbands, some scholars believe that Mark actually added this because a lot of Mark's audience was, were Romans. And under Roman law, a woman could divorce her husband. So, so maybe he's adding this in for the, the Romans that might be reading. Other scholars think that Jesus was being proactive. He knew that the culture would eventually change. And so he wanted these words recorded so that they would know, hey, uh, uh, one day women can get divorced, but no, you, you gotta stick with this. But even some conservative scholars that I read this week even they argued that this right here helped to elevate women. You see, by men being able to give the certificate of divorce and women being able to do nothing, they were basically just a step above property. They were like just barely above slaves. And so just to give her that certificate of divorce, it's like, it like just selling off a slave. And what he's saying here is no, even if she tries to divorce, he's raising her elevation. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that, that men and women are different. I, I believe they complement each other incredibly well. But it does not mean that the man's more important and the woman is less. Jesus is actually elevating her and putting her equal because he gives her the exact same warning as he gives the guy. Because she could be just as tempted to want to get out of this marriage. Because maybe he's not being faithful, maybe he's not being who she thought he was. And Jesus is saying, honor me. Stay with it. Stick with it. Okay, but let's be honest. This is still hard. All right, yeah, so what? Jesus raises her up. She's she's trapped. Like, how is that a good thing? What I want to do is I want to kind of help change your perspective. And, and, And I think to do that, we need to ask ourselves a question. Why is Jesus so passionate about the permanency of marriage? Like, when he's alone with his disciples, why does he double down and even go further? Well, we've answered part of it already. Jesus, as God the Son, was with God the Father and the Spirit when they made humans, made male and female, and brought them together. So Jesus knows this has been the plan from the beginning. So he wants to see that, because God always knows best. So he wants to see that, because he knows that's for our best. But I think there's something else, a second reason. And that is that marriage points to the gospel. In the book of Ephesians, God writes through the Apostle Paul about this topic of marriage. Uh, Paul begins writing first to to wives. And in that conversation, he basically points them to Jesus. And then he shifts to husbands. And as he talks to these husbands, he basically points them to Jesus. And then as he begins to wrap up the conversation, he says this, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, hang on. We've already heard this. This is the same verse that Jesus quoted. This is Genesis 2.24. Oh, okay, so so Paul's doing what Jesus did. He's going back to the beginning, showing what how marriage is. Okay, I get it. Now listen to what Paul says. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. Some of us would pause and go, yeah, of course Paul is profound, you know, because you got this one guy and you get this one woman and yet the two become one. I mean, we just don't fully figure it out. We kind of see it, but we, it's, it's a mystery. But then Paul says, oh, hang on, I'm not just talking about earthly marriage. He says this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, Paul knows that when a husband and a wife get married, what they're doing is they're reflecting the true marriage of heaven between Christ and his church. When Paul was talking to husbands in verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ show his love for the church? He died for her. So in a sense, what Paul is saying is that when Jesus went to a cross, he was saying his marital vows to the universal church. He's saying, I love you so much that your sin is keeping you separated from me and my Father but I'm going to come and pay your penalty for you. I love you so much, I'm going to give everything for you. I'm going to go and die your death to take your penalty, but then I'm going to come back from the, from the dead so that we can be united and made one. So if you find yourself doubting in the goodness of God, doubting in the love of God, you got to look to the cross and realize, Jesus said his marriage vows, saying, I give it all. For you. But what about us? We have an opportunity to join the church, to to exchange our vows with him. Most people, when they realize the truth of the gospel, they realize the story is true, that Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins, they make their vow in prayer. They they say, God, I confess my sin. I realize that you died for me. So Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I'm now gonna give my life for you. And in that moment, as they express that faith, in this story, they are joined together with God. Anytime we do baptisms, I always try to meet with the person ahead of time. I, I just want to make sure, you know, it gives me a chance to hear their story. I want to make sure that they understand what, what this is, that they're not doing it for the wrong reasons Uh, But it's a lot of fun, and and part of what we do is we jump into the scriptures and we study what baptism is. It doesn't take us super long, but I I had the chance to do it with each of the girls, and and it was a lot of fun to hear their stories and talk through what baptism is. But with each of them, I I wanted to explain something to them, and and I used a wedding ring as an illustration. You know, on, on June 4th, 1994, at Topeka Bible Church, I stood on a stage in front of Hank Nelson, Leanne's youth pastor, and we exchanged vows and became united but in that moment, I was not wearing my ring. Now, I've taken my ring off, am I still married? Yes, I'm still connected to Leanne. All this does is show everyone who my life is bound to. I put this on and now all the women who'd wanna hit on a great looking guy like me, they know, no, this guy is off limits. When a person gives their life to Christ, they're united to Him. But they need to put on a ring. And that ring is baptism. This this baptism says, My life belongs to another. Jesus purchased me, He bought me. I was in the clutches of sin, and He paid the ultimate price to take me out of sin, to forgive me of that sin, so that I could come into a relationship with my Creator. And I am now tied to my God. But guess what? You need to let the world know. So you step into the tank and you say, my life is now connected to Jesus. I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of him who took away my sin. This is why baptism is so important. And that is why I am so thankful that God arranged for me to have to talk about this passage on this day. So this means a couple of things. Number one, some of you, it's time for you to give your life to Jesus. You, maybe you've been coming to Riverwood for a while. Maybe you're tuned in for the very first time but you've been kind of pursuing this whole idea of what does it mean to follow Jesus, and today's your day. Today is going to be your spiritual birthday. Today is the day where you confess your sin, and you're going to join with Jesus. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's given everything for you, and now he says, I want you as mine. And so you just need to confess your sin, give your life to him, put your faith all in him, and now it begins. But some of you, you've made that step. You would identify as a Christian, but you haven't gone public with it. It's like you're trying to have a secret ceremony with God, but you're trying to walk around with no ring on, pretending that you're still available. And I really should not be throwing my ring around. Sorry. Uh, you're right. I did I did lose one. I could tell that story another time. Uh, this is my second wedding ring. Uh, but I'm still on my first marriage. I'll make that clear. Some of you, it's, it's time. Um, last night, as I was... Uh, just kind of running through my message, um, I suddenly realized that we have a tank here. We have water. And I suddenly sense like, it would be really, really wrong of me to not make this available to you. Because some of you, as you're hearing me teach and preach, you're saying, you know what, I love Jesus. I've given my life to him, but I have not done this step yet. As Jake said last week, if you've already done this, you don't have to do it again. I want to make it clear, if you do this, you're not doing this to try to make us happy You don't do this to try to like join our church. You don't do this to kind of wash away your sins. Your sins are washed away through the cross of Jesus. You do this to put on the wedding ring. And if you realize it's time, what I want to do is as as our ushers are going to pass the communion elements and we go into this time of reflection, I'm just going to stand over here at the side and if you're saying, you know what, it's time for me to do this, let's do this. I realize you did not bring a change of clothes. You do not have a towel. Guess what? I have some towels for you. We can take off your shoes, we can step in, and we can do this. That's how my baptism happened. I'd heard all about baptism, and I thought, this sounds weird. I was 10 years old. I thought, I don't want to do that. And then my church goes out to a farm pond, and I start hearing the testimonies, and I start seeing what's happening. It was like the Holy Spirit saying, Aaron, I love you, I want you, it's time. So I walked up to my parents, and I said, I want to get baptized like, Aaron, yeah, we didn't bring a change of clothes. We don't have a towel. And the, the friend sitting next to him says, well, we've got an extra towel. And I walked into that farm pond, this dirty pond. And it was one of the most significant moments of my life. So how wrong of me to keep you from one of the most significant moments of your life? Now, we're not just going to throw you in. I want to stand over here. I want to have a little conversation with you. So I'm going to invite the band up going to invite the uh, team to, to lower the lights. The ushers are going to begin to pass the elements. If you are a follower of Jesus, would you take those elements and would you make this? What a beautiful day for us to celebrate the sacrament of communion. But also, if you're ready, come have a conversation with me. And let's begin this process of letting you put on your wedding ring and to say, my life belongs to Jesus. And because he was a man of his word. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for this holy moment. As we take up communion, as maybe someone is going to get baptized uh, here, that, that all of this would be done for your glory. God, would you just, through your Holy Spirit, m- move in this place? Would you, would you um, purify our motives um, for the reasons we're taking this communion, for the reason we're going to be baptized, for all of this? God, this is about you. This isn't about what I want. It isn't about what our, our church the whole wants. It's about what you want for us. And so in this moment, God, would you move, would you work, would you call people to you? Because Jesus, we may not always be a person of our word, but you are. So we can trust you in all things, even the difficult things. That's why, God, right now, I pray for those who are in a marriage where they're struggling, that you would give them hope. Would, would you help them to see that even if they're in a marriage where they do not feel equally yoked, or they do not feel tied together, there is a ripping of that one flesh right now, and it hurts. Would you bring healing would you bring restoration? Would you help them to see that you are with them even in the midst of the pain? At the same time, God, for those that have been through divorce, would you help them to forgive themselves? Would they forgive their ex-spouse? Would would they, if people are remarried, would they make this their permanent marriage to give their all into it? God, I believe your gospel speaks into marriage, into divorce, and it speaks into our lives. And that's why right now, I just want our attention on you, God. I want you to be the one to lead us, to help us see the cross and the empty tomb. Make this next moment holy, God, as we commit ourselves fully to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.